Podshock. 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 Live from behind the plastic sheeting in Canary Wharf, this is Doctor Who Podshock. This is Doctor Who Podshock, episode 64 for the week of January 22nd, 2007. Will you still need me? Will you still feed me when I'm 64? My name is Ken Deep, alongside Mr. Louis Trapani. Hello! And across the pond, of course, Mr. James Norton. Hello. And uh, we are here on the heels of our huge announcement. Our uh, last episode, we mentioned that we are now in conjunction with Outpost Gallifrey. And as of this morning, this recording being on the 21st of January, um, the news has broken this morning. So we're getting some feedback and hearing from lots of people about their take on it. And uh, very cool. It's been so far so good. Mm-hmm. Yes. We're very pleased to be um, working with Outpost Gallifrey, and it's now Outpost Gallifrey presents Doctor Who Podshock. In the newsroom, we have a bunch of things to go over. Um, nothing huge, just a lot of uh, a lot of smaller stories, but you know, important nonetheless. And uh, so, I'm going to throw it over to Lewis to see what's on, what's in the Doctor Who newsroom. Well, rev up your chainsaws. This is going to be a massacre. <laughs> We're starting off the new year with a new story from uh, um, coming from Netflix. And for those that aren't familiar, Netflix is a rental um, company that uh, for DVDs that will uh, rent you DVDs through the mail. You pay a certain amount a month uh, each month, and then you get as many DVDs as you can consume, and you put them in the mail, and they so forth and that's how it works and they're actually starting off a new streaming service as well but that's neither here or there uh but according to tv shows on dvd.com several netflix customers noted that their rented copies of doctor who the second complete second series this is the first series of david Tennant. uh disc one had a problem apparently at the 32 minute mark of the new earth episode it switches from uh, switches to a rather gruesome scene of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the beginning. <laughs> Along the same lines, um, the special feature section of the disc does not work. Uh, once the the BBC were contacted and made aware of the issue, they quickly responded with a statement that yes, there was a problem uh, with the discs in question. Only Netflix copies of disc one were affected, and. Um, and they were not for the purchase of, you know, they were not available for purchase for consumers. 
Um, so the BBC is working to replace the faulty DVDs. Netflix has pulled the disc one as being available for rent until the situation has been resolved. So once again, um, for those of you that have um, that may be considering purchasing this the box set of you know the complete second series with David Tennant. Uh, you shouldn't be concerned because these were special DVDs that were made for rental purposes only, not for sale. So um, I believe it's only a, a minority disc that were affected and they're being, you know, remedied now. Yeah, interesting stuff. Um, but uh, it's good to see that the BBC is on the ball again, but I don't know why it would be the case that the Texas Chainsaw Massacre would have gotten mixed in there. I don't know whether that was a problem with Netflix, but I don't know if the BBC has a stake in that film or whatever. Well, apparently, um, when DVDs are processed, they, uh, as some of you may already know, DVDs are multi-layered. That's how they can fit so much on, on a disc. So um, when you're watching it, sometimes, if, especially if you're using an old DVD player, you may see a little pause as it switches from layer one to layer two. And apparently that's what this the problem happened here where layering. where one layer was meant for the Ch the Texas Chainsaw Massacre the beginning disc got somehow um, when it went into um, mass um, the new earth uh, yeah when it went into the the, the companies that do these in, in mass um, quantities a duplication it, it, company a duplication in the states company. was different yeah so it, it, yes so that layer got misplaced with with the Doctor Who disc and so forth and that's how this happened and mm. um, Mm. I mean, it's pretty funny. I'm, well, not funny, but I mean, it's pretty horrific. <laughs> yeah, you, say. you sit down your little kiddies to watch uh, Doctor Who or whatever, and all of a sudden, you know, there's people cutting I people up with chainsaws. this was a family show. Well, it could be a family show, but I'm just <laughs> meaning I don't think I would be so bothered as if uh, there's a little five-year-old kid uh, now, sat in front of the TV. Now, maybe this would have been more appropriate for this Torchwood episode, cities, um, Countryside, you know... <laughs> <laughs> and slipped into this, and no, no, no one would be none the wiser, perhaps. <laughs> Good lord. <laughs> anyway, so moving along in the newsroom. Well, the next big item on the news, of course, all from uh, gallifrey1.com, is uh, the fact that there will be new venues for exhibitions. As many people have been aware, there have been a huge number of Doctor Who exhibitions across the UK, in Brighton and Cardiff and in Liverpool. Um, but now the, the, the official exhibition uh, site has disclosed that there's going to be a Manchester display uh, regarded as Doctor Who Up Close, uh, which will be running from the 31st of March to the 5th of November at the Museum of Science and Industry. And it's allegedly going to be the largest ever Doctor Who exhibition. So uh, people will reportedly have the first chance to see some of the creatures from Series 3 there, which for me is really exciting mm -hmm. and interesting, because I guess that maybe uh, this will you, it, there'll be a bit of overlap with Series 3. It depends how early it gets out, but March the 31st, maybe if the series shows on the 1st of April, you'll get to see loads of cool new monsters or whatever from the series or before it comes out. Yeah. Uh, apparently there's going to be props, costumes, monsters on display, uh, while there's also going to be uh, reports that there will be items from uh, The Runaway Bride, which is very cool. Um, and also there's going to be what's known as a photo fun event taking place between February the 12th and 18th, in which people can have their take a uh, picture 
uh, I can't even talk. They're pictured taken in front of a Dalek, fighting a Dalek more specifically. Uh, so the museum is in the Liverpool Road in the Castlefield district of Manchester. And also uh, Land's End, which is uh, a little place in Cornwall, right in the south of the UK, will have its own up-close exhibition from Easter 2007, according to the official exhibition site, although more, no, no more details are available as yet. So there we are. Interesting stuff, I think. Yeah, if you're in the area, that you definitely have to check it out. I know um, if it was local to me, I would be there. Well, I'll certainly try and get over there. It might be closer to November than it than uh, March, sadly. But uh, I don't know. I'll nip over to Manchester on the train and uh, have a look around. Might even whip out my recorder and see if I can uh, talk to people and get their impressions of the museum or maybe even the museum's organisers. I don't know. Yeah, just don't so, try to record any of the, the, the pieces there because they don't actually talk back for the most part. Well, <laughs> That's again, a good point. <laughs> Hello, Mr. Dalek. How are you? Yeah, well, actually, I don't think that'll go down well. <laughs> we had one listener last year sent us a video, or I think, of a Dalek, and they actually it does you know have some lines as well. Yeah, <laughs> but I don't think that... The, I think they're probably pre-recorded. Not right, too interactive. Yeah. <laughs> Sadly, although that would be kind of cool to introduce, like the Dalek Emperor or something, or interesting stuff. So then. So speaking anyway. of interactivity, James, um, a lot of people are being interactive in this um, Doctor Who singles chart battle. Yeah, that's true, and uh, we actually have a winner, which is kind of interesting because um, as of. Uh, January the 19th, uh, there's a, a huge, famous uh, television program here in the UK for children called News Round. It's basically like news, but for kids. Uh, and there was, uh, they did a report on plans to put Love Don't Roam, which is, of course, uh, a single, well, on the album of the soundtrack, the Doctor Who soundtrack by Murray Gold, into the UK singles charts. Um, and apparently it's, it's happening because of a change in the rules on how the uh, single chart works. Because now any song, whether it's a single or an album track, uh, if it's in the shops or available on the internet by legal downloads, you can, that can actually make it into the singles if there are enough sales. Um, so that's apparently what a, a number of Doctor Who fans have been trying to take advantage of the situation to get Love Don't Roam into the charts. Because of course it was never intended to be a single um, but it, apparently it's supposedly to actually make it into the charts uh, this week. Um, but also, at the same time, uh, the news story was entitled David Tennant versus Billy Piper because uh, there's a very famous BBC Radio 1 DJ uh, who does the breakfast show called Chris Moyles, uh, and he's also has attempt, been attempting to get a track into the charts which is Honey to the Bee by, of course, the former Doctor Who companion, Billy Piper. Um, <laughs> and it turns out that actually, uh, as we are recording, this new story has just been posted, so this is right off the bat for us, um, that following this campaign by uh, Chris Moyles, uh, Billy Piper has actually returned to the top 40 charts uh, with a re-entry for this 1990 hit, uh, 1999 hit, Honey to the Bee, which originally entered the charts this week at number 17, although it was actually got as high as number three back in 99. So, um, 
who knows? Maybe uh, further coverage will will come. Maybe Love Don't Roam will get higher than Billy's uh, Billy's <laughs> Honey to the Bee. But I have to say uh, that this comes from uh, the best of Billy Piper, and she is looking rather smoking on the album cover. It has to be said. She's looking very much like Marilyn Monroe. But I'll I'll leave that for you to decide and to see. But uh, there we are. Interesting stuff. I I don't know about this, but it's. F- funny that they've changed the the law and stuff, or or however this is processed. Rules, yeah. The, the, well, yeah. Uh, actually, this ties into a news story that I have. Um, the gunfighters missing, or not? It's not missing audio, but the gunfighters uh, Doctor Who audios, the the series of once missing audio stories. Now they're taking some of the classic black and whites and releasing them on CD with narration. Uh, the gunfighters is coming out on February 5th, 2007, and it includes Linda Barron's um, song, Isolated, The Ballad of the Last Chance Saloon. If you remember in The Mm -hmm. Gunfighters, there was a Mm -hmm. song going through the the whole story. So Mm -hmm. I'm predicting that's the next one to make the chart. (laughs) I think we should all download The Ballad of the Last Chance Saloon and see if we can get that on the UK charts. (laughs) I I think that's a possibility. Let's do it. (laughs) <laughs> I don't, I'm not so sure that we could get as much of a backing but uh, it's, anything's possible anything's there's possible. a great line in that story very funny um, Stephen is forced at gunpoint to start singing if you remember he says I hope the piano knows it <laughs> I was like <laughs> well those that are, may not be familiar with Love Don't Roam and if you haven't seen The Runaway Bride yet it's actually featured in that but we also we use it as our intro in Pachak episode 62 so um, you can pull it out and know what we're talking about mm-hmm. so what is up next in the newsroom well, I, um, speaking of um, new arrivals that Ken just mentioned, the CD release of The Gunfighters, I just want to make a quick mention that there's a new um, DVD slated for release on the 3rd of April, 2007, and that's Survival, which is the last story of the original run of the series and um, with Sylvester McCoy and Sophie Aldred. And, um, Didn't Anthony Ainley record a commentary for that as well i know he did one for keeper of truck and i i think he did one for survival as well Well, was there any news on that if he did record a commentary um it's not included on the dvd from what i can understand there's a main commentary is with sylvester mccoy sophie aldrett and script editor um andrew cartmel second commentary episode three only is a fan commentary uh from the winners of the recent doctor who magazine competition so, Didn't they ask Podshock to do it? <laughs> we weren't. We, I guess we would have to be engaged in the competition. Which no, no, no. no. <laughs> they should just ask. No, no to BBC and Warner, Warner Home Video. Podshock available. <laughs> oh, and it looks like it has um, on disc two. It has, I think, Anthony Enley's last appearance appearance as the master, as they're um, containing um, the, the commercial. No, the um, the video links. If you ever played the 1997 computer game Destiny of the Doctors, right, it has right. Anthony Anley in it in um, some recorded um, video. It, you know, this is back in 1997. This is um, yep. in computer years. This is like three centuries ago. So the gra- I mean, as far as the the graphics aren't as what they are mm. today, but um, mm. there were some video elements in it which um, had Anthony he, Anley appearing in it. He also recorded a commercial for that game that was um, on some of the VHS releases as well. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
That's cool. Interesting. And he's in full regalia as the master with the the, the high collar and the black velvet I, and the mustache, the whole bit. I would hope and so. Just, yeah. As opposed to, you know, jeans and a T-shirt. Yeah, people might not recognize him so easily as the master if that was the case. Yeah, he's, the, he's in the, um, the the laid back version of the master. The, uh, but if you have a oh, casual hello. master. If you haven't met, yeah, have met him in person, even though he may not be sporting the goatee and the, the black, you know, um, costume and all that, he can very easily slip into the voice, you know. <laughs> yeah. I used to hand out uh, buttons or badges, as, as the, the folks in the uh, UK would call them, uh, of, a, of a heart, a red heart, just to show that he had a big heart. Hmm. Can't believe he's gone, just like so many others yeah. that we've lost. You know, it's all too yeah, soon. He was at, remember, he was at Icon in, what, the early 90s? Um, we had yeah, a chance to see him mm-hmm. once or twice. That was a lot of fun. He was a great guest. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, actually, while, while we're on that subject, and a quick convention update, uh, Icon 26 at SUNY Stony Brook, the last weekend of March 2007, of course, Lewis and I will be there doing Podshock again and this year. James will be there as well, though not physically. Not right? physically. Unless James surprises us and comes in person. That but... would be cool. That would be really cool. <laughs> I would love to. We'll have maybe James next there year. as we had last year via the there's, internet. He'll be a some... speaker on the floor just like he was last year. There's good news and bad news. The good news is that the guests were announced for for this year's um, Icon, and you can go to their website, www iconsf.org for all the details and um, only because I don't know who's been contracted officially yet and whatnot. I attended a meeting this week so I don't I, I don't want to like divulge something I wasn't supposed to but cast members of New Battlestar um, Stargate Babylon 5 um, X-Files X-Files, Buck Rogers possibly Buck even the Myth Mythbusters so uh, check the website when they That's, make the official you know, official. Buck Rogers is a real hot item today, so I'm very glad <laughs> they got some. You know, but um, what's missing? What's what is missing? And the bad news is there are no Doctor Who guests. Well, uh, 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 Other like, than Doctor Who Podshock, that is. <laughs> and and the uh, and John Peel, who's a regular there, the author John Peel, who will probably be joining us on on this year's Podshock, which is really cool. He authored yeah, some awesome. of the uh, Dalek Master Plan, um, the, the novelizations, and um, good a good fella, and 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 uh, always a good chat so we're looking forward to this time actually having a recording going as he and i mm. hosted a panel last year together so hopefully we get that all taken care of and also when, when is um icon just for people just refresh it is uh the last weekend of march and i'm just gonna quickly flip my calendar here and see when it is uh 23rd 24th 25th march mm. uh, friday saturday sunday march 23rd 24th 25th 2007. It's on the campus of the State University of New York in Stony Brook, Long Island, New York. So uh, once uh, again, we'll have a live recording of Doctor Who Pachak. Anyone is welcome to attend. It's uh, and participate it's, and participate. There's no extra charge. It's if you're attending the convention. <laughs> Why would you pay to see us? <laughs> <laughs> you have to pay to come in, mate. So no, it's a actually, we, we'll pay we'll you pay to you. show up. <laughs> actually, we got a, a you know a fairly decent crowd last year. We had a know. we had an excellent crowd last year, considering that um, you know we only announced it what about a month before. Yeah, we I mean, didn't have we, the details, you know, to announce it. So, you know, I mean, everything kind of came late, 
And be, being that we had some success with it last year, we were invited back very quickly. Uh, you know, as a matter of fact, mm-hmm. right after the recording last year. And uh, so we can actually be talking about it in advance. And, and I'm looking forward to seeing everybody again. And we do appreciate and we are grateful to Icon for inviting us back. So, you know, oh, we, yeah, it's... We, we like to poke fun at them and, you know, and rib them for not having Dr. Who guests and whatnot. But we still appreciate um, their generosity. Well, our ribbing is more... Uh, friendly encouragement to get them to get a Doctor Who guest. Yes. Yeah. Um, more so than being critical. I, I just, you know, I'm, 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 it's our con- convention. You know, here on Long Island, it's it's the it's the only science fiction convention on Long Island, and you and I have been Long Islanders our entire lives, Lewis, and and so we take this con to heart, and we want to see it Hearts. be the best it can be. Hearts. <laughs> <laughs> but having said that. Uh... Is there any chance we could rip, uh, rig up a, a, web, a webcam this year? I'd quite like to see what's going on. Uh, I have a webcam uh, on my on my Mac now, my PowerBook. Yeah, mm. no, I have an iSight as well. It's, I'm sorry, my uh, MacBook. Um, I'm, I'm sure it, it. I'm sure it might be doable. Yeah. Well, they just like showed to... Billy. I just I just clicked on Outpost Gallifrey, and they have that picture of Billy Piper uh, in the Marilyn Monroe thing. It's hubba, yeah. I hubba. told you. I told you. Nice. Okay. Well, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah, I was just going to say that. Uh, yeah, I'd quite like to see the crowd and see what's going on. It'd be interesting. But if not, yeah. no worries. Mm-hmm. We can do it uh, old school like we did last year, and and maybe the year after. You know, I I should I should come out and see you guys, and uh, it'd be great to go to to Icon the following year and uh, and see what it's all about, and uh, be there live and do a live pod shot recording. Uh, and what just a novel the- idea. I could actually meet you in person. Yeah, that's also a good thing as well. <laughs> it's probably not understood that Lewis and I have actually never met James. We've spoken. Yes. James, who's James? We're mates, but we've never met. <laughs> that's right. That's what you can do with the internet these days. So. He's gonna, he's gonna meet us. He's gonna be like, these two guys are schmucks. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just hope you don't think the same about me. <laughs> <laughs> he's gonna go off and go solo and do <laughs> my solo project. Yeah. No, so no, no. Uh, while we're on conventions, though, let's also mention being that um, you know we're now presented by yeah. our post Gallifrey. They present Gallifrey One, the convention out in Los Angeles. This is the 18th amendment of Gallifrey One. It happens February 16th, 17th, and 18th, 2007, at the LAX Airport Marriott in Los Angeles, California. This year, Colin Baker, Caroline John, Eric Roberts, Terry Malloy, Jeffrey Beavers, among many. Many guests. Yes. Ninety-nine percent Doctor Who convention. So, uh, and we have reporters on the ground at that one. And uh, <laughs> now, with our association with Outpost Gallifrey, I'm sure we'll be getting um, con- constant reports. And you can be a reporter as well. Sure. Yeah, why not? You know what? The the um, the Beastie Boys put out a DVD of a concert where they handed out like 500 video cameras to audience members and let them shoot the, the concert. We should just send up, make our reports, just everybody else's report on the convention. <laughs> just be like, just everybody file them and we'll just compile it into one gigantic report. Sort of like mm-hmm. what they do at weddings. They leave cameras on every table. Yeah, exactly. Cool. <laughs> well, check it out. Go to gallifrey1.com slash gallifrey.php and you'll get the whole rundown of the many guests and the, the various features and opportunities that offer yeah. you at yeah. the 18th Amendment of Gallifrey 1. 
I like how would, they, uh, they have the little graphic there and there's a little TARDIS in a glass. <laughs> yeah. We would uh, give you details about guests and so on, but uh, it's constantly evolving and changing and they're adding guests all the time. Yeah, and yeah I think, it's pretty exciting. I think it would, it would take us a whole podcast, really, just to tell you what guests are there because there really is a, a long, long line of them. Well, so, it's uh, less than... A- it's less than a month away, and at this point, this is really where a lot of last-minute guests get added, you know, people who realize they, they can commit to the convention. The hard part, you know, when the convention's a long way off, it's tough to make a commitment if you're yeah. an actor and, and things pop up last minute. But now that we're less than a month away, there's a, you know, I'm sure there's a, a bunch of actors that are, oh, I can, I can make it now. And, and so there'll be a lot of last-minute details. So to be checking the website frequently is, is to your advantage if you're planning on going. Or if Definitely. you're on the fence about going, maybe somebody will pop up that'll say, "Okay, now I'm going." That sways your uh, your whole thoughts about the convention or whatever. But and regardless, it'll be a good time, I'm sure. Yeah. Anyway, All right. what else is in the news, Lewis? Well, I've mostly got uh, just to sort of, sorry to take the better no, I've got a few okay. announcements to make, and I know Lewis wanted to mention this as well, but. I'll, before I move over to Lewis for some uh, announcements about Torchwood, I just wanted to mention that uh, a lot of my American friends uh, have been asking me to uh, purchase the uh, Doctor Who soundtrack by, of course, the wonderful Mr. Murray mm-hmm. Gold. Um, but now I can reveal it is finally available on the US iTunes Music Store. So I believe it's priced at uh, just under ten dollars nine ninety nine, uh, and uh, yeah, you can go and download it. And uh, even before the CD, the hardcore version is actually available uh, in the US. So yeah, go ahead and download it. There's no need to, for me to uh, send everybody's copies here from the UK. <laughs> and you could so. also uh, purchase the physical CD if you like from the US Amazon store as well we have a link to it on our website uh, gallifreyembassy.org or podchock.net right on the right side right hand side column and you can click on that and that will bring you to the site and uh, it helps us out as well yes and I was just going to mention that you know anytime you you visit um, a doctor who related site or or a merchandise site if you would do so using podshock.net or gallifreyembassy.org um, that registers with some of the places like Amazon and um, Forbidden Planet and, and some of the other um, shops that sell Doctor Who related merchandise and that we get credited for that. You know, People see that and, and realize that it, it comes from our site so we'd appreciate yeah. it if so, you would uh, spread the word about that. The other absolutely. thing I wanted to mention while you were on iTunes uh, sorry to cut you off Lewis. No, that's all right. It's just that uh, in addition to the soundtrack uh, the David Tennant narrated um, audiobooks are available on iTunes. I think there's six or eight of them. I, I think it's six of them now that are available. And they're available to download through iTunes as well as uh, um, some of the missing uh, stories done on audio. And also I noticed that the two Blake 7 audio adventures are available on the American iTunes as well. Uh, just going back to the physical CD that's going to be available in the U.S., the title is being released on the 13th of February. Uh, you can pre-order it now. Now, the big question is, uh, those of us that bought it from the U.K. got a little surprise bonus, a little uh, badge, a little pin, if you will, of Doctor Who featuring David Tennant and Billy Piper. And I'm just curious on whether or not the U.S. release will also include that badge. There's no indication on, on about it on the Amazon site, so I guess we'll have to wait and see. Hmm. So, Lewis, uh, you had some uh, brief 
announcements to make about uh, well, Torchwood. In, one in particular, last episode, Podshock 63, we had a, um, in our feedback section, we had someone, um, I believe his name was Chris, if I remember correctly, uh, send in feedback asking whether or not Torchwood, the spinoff of the Doctor Who, would be coming to New Zealand. And... Um, that was rec- we recorded that episode on January seventh, and on January tenth, news broke out that BBC Worldwide has sold the first series of the Doctor Who spinoff Tor- Torchwood um, to um, to TZNZ, which is a, a New Zealand broadcaster. It's um, so they will be getting it. It's um, it's part of a significant package of more than forty hours of drama, natural history, and factual programming. Um, so Torchwood will be coming to New Zealand then, so it's, um, good news there. Yeah, definitely. Um, so finally, I guess, the only other announcement I had that, uh, requires, uh, mention in the news segment is that we had a rather interesting email, uh, the other day, which was kind of like personalized spam, in a way. And uh, it came from a person at uh, podshock42 at hotmail.com. And they sent us a 42-minute long mashup, if you could call it that, uh, which I believe we played at the beginning of the show, or if not, it will be playing now, I'm sure, in the background. (laughs) It's scary. Uh, It's very scary. It's Lewis repeatedly saying, Podshock, Podshock, Podshock. It's interesting. Here's my Um, live edition. for 42 minutes <laughs> yeah it was fun and interesting and, and definitely unique of one of the most unique emails that we've ever had but you know what it got us thinking um, which is always a dangerous thing <laughs> a very dangerous thing and we have wanted to hold a new exhibition almost like a contest whereby we asked you a long time ago uh, if you could create a promo for us. And uh, the response has been absolutely staggering. We've had zero entries. Um, So we've decided that perhaps it would be a good idea to get you out there working, those people of you who are musically talented, um, to create a mashup from Podshocks, a promo that we can play on other podcasts, you know, just kind of like a little uh, dancey tune or something that's about a minute or less. Uh, anything that you can fit in about the information about that, of course, that me, Lewis and Ken are on there. It's, of course, uh, presented by Outpost Gallifrey, the website. That would be really awesome. And uh, we have a prize for this. You will all no doubt be very, very glad to hear. So... Uh, we will be giving away an iPod Nano, which will have engraved on it Doctor Who Podshock. So it will Whoa. be the only iPod Nano Doctor Who Podshock branded. Um, and the deadline for this exhibition stroke contest stroke thing will be Podshock 70. So uh, send in your entries. We will choose the best one who will get the iPod Nano. And we also will showcase maybe the uh, promos that didn't win, but we do enjoy on other podcasts or indeed on this very same one. So uh, 
get your computers fired up and send us your MP3s. I know, I'm starting mine. Oh, no, we're excluded. <laughs> yeah, we're excluded of the, of the contest, sadly. Yeah, and only one iPod Nano is, yeah. is going, is for giving away. We can't, we'd love to give all of our listeners an iPod Nano to yeah, listen we're, to we're, Dr. We're, we're, on, but... we're digging into our pockets for this. This isn't being donated, so <laughs> this is yes. just, we, we wanted to thank our listeners and, and, and those that put a lot of time and effort, because we get so many submissions and so much creative uh, energy that goes into putting stuff into um, their submissions, and um, so, you know, for once, you know, other than just putting it on our show, we would like to reward um, you know, people that put all this effort into submitting stuff and contributing to Doctor Who Podshock. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that just about finishes up the news segment, guys. Then, if unless you've got anything else that you want to mention, um, I, I just thought you maybe wanted to just a quick mention about um, about the BBC chief. Um... Oh, of course. Yes, I completely forgot. I apologize. Uh, you go, Lewis. You go. Well. Um, I know some people had um, sometimes had questioned the role that Doctor Who plays in um, you know in in the BBC and whether or not where its future may lead and you know we were speculating the past two Podshock episodes about David Tennant leaving and um, I know you know I think Sean had brought up last episode that there's this um, there's been rumors that Doctor Who might be going you know be going bye-byes again off television <laughs> screens in a few years. So, But anyway, um, this story comes, once again, this is available on Outpost Gallifrey, um, and it's um, Doctor Who is Our Creative Future is coming from the BBC. Uh, on, day, on, on the day that the BBC Director uh, General expressed real disappointment at the government's final license fee, level settlement which funds the, B the, the which funds the corporation he had also gave a keynote speech on the bbc's creative future addressing the future of creative content conference part of the media summer of 2007 event um, taking place in london mark thompson gave a detailed lecture but highlighted only one program as an example of how the corporation was making its creative future a reality doctor who so um, you, if you go to um, the website, you can see there's um, a part of the lecture is quoted on the website, which I, I won't read because it's rather lengthy. Yeah, but it's great. It kind of details uh, some of the creative vision that the BBC have. And just to give a bit of background, uh, this is regarding really um, the, the BBC has to apply to the government to, when it wants to increase the license fee. Uh, which is, of course, the, the fee that uh, uh, we Brits have to pay to get our television, uh, which means that the BBC is advert-free, thank goodness. Yes. Um, and every year it increases a little bit, but they wanted to increase it by quite a, a way this year to fund a lot of digital channels and also to help a lot of elderly people um, get digital television into their homes because... It's hoped that uh, by, I believe, 2012, we will have made the entire digital switchover where we will no longer be receiving analog signals. Uh, and the, uh, the government funded an increase, but not as much of an increase as the BBC had hoped. So uh, this is kind of saying, outlining the creative vision, which was the um, sort of impetus uh, for the increase in the license fee. So, yeah. That's what that was all about, just to give it a bit of background and mm -hmm. put things well, into perspective. I 
appreciate you doing that for us, James. Um, it's always great to have some insider, um, you know, scoop on on the on the whole situation there because. Um, you know, this is a worldwide podcast, so not everyone's familiar with how the BBC works and how the licensee fees work in the UK. Yeah, I hope that my explanation was sufficient. <laughs> I find it quite—it's often quite difficult to explain these things. I guess. Sometimes. James, would you would you think that that this statement is sort of um, playing into um, Doctor Who fans, sort of saying to them, "Well, the reason for the increase is we want to keep Doctor Who going." Sort of, uh, um, I think that's that part pitch. of it, yeah. Um, because I think the BBC all the time finds it harder and harder to justify uh, very high budgets, um, particularly for content that only goes out on one or two channels. So I think this is kind of reassuring fans that hey, Doctor Who is always going to be around, we have the budget for it, it's a hugely successful. Uh, sci-fi show and uh, Russell T. Davis and, and Julie Gardner are doing a brilliant uh, sci-fi production job on not only just things like Doctor Who but Torchwood and Sarah Jane Adventures and all that sort of stuff so I think it's just kind of reassuring everyone that although there are all these rumours out there because the BBC of course is publicly funded and therefore is completely open to scrutiny uh, about what it uh, showcases and what it spends its money on, um, that there is no way uh, that I think that uh, that the BBC were, are going to axe Doctor Who. It's just not going to happen um, because it's one of the most successful shows. I think the only more successful program is something like EastEnders, in which Doctor Who just can't really compete because EastEnders is on all year round and is on I don't know how many times a week. For, for those that don't know, it's a, it's a soap opera-like show, right? Yeah, it's, it is a soap opera. Sorry, thanks, Lewis, for clearing that up. So how can how can a sci-fi drama possibly compete with uh, a long-running uh, soap opera that is on, I think it's on several times a week, and certainly they have a, a huge long omnibus and things. Mm. So that's the only reason why it's the most popular show, as far as I can see, and, and wins out in ratings at Christmas and things, so... Uh, I think that, that people really have nothing to worry about. Clearly, Doctor Who is here to stay, and the BBC is investing a lot of money in it. So, yeah. All right. Well, good stuff. I'm glad to hear that Doctor Who has it's in the BBC's vision of the future. Yeah, it's always <laughs> good to know. And we'll be back with more Doctor Who Podshock right after this. Hello, this is Sylvester McCoy, and you're listening to Podshock. I'm a jock. This is Mr. Moyle. And this is Q-Dog. And we're from Cool Shite on the Tube. What is Cool Shite, Mr. Q-Dog? Cool Shot is uh, movie reviews, it's talking about TV, it's talking about pop culture, it's talking about a lot of shot. A lot of shot? 
a lot of shit. And this is what some of our listeners have had to say about us. I love Cool Shit on the Tube. It's possibly one of the best podcasts I've ever listened to. Thank you, Governor Arnie. You're welcome. Now, what about you, Mr. Billy Conley? Brilliant! I've never heard anything like it in my life! If you like listening to people talk about movies, people having a good time, people hacking on each other, you should come to Cool Shite on the Tube, listen to us, and have a good time. We're available at www.coolshite.net. As far as I'm concerned, I'd never listen to any other podcast. I mean, who would? And we're back with Doctor Who Podshock. Yes, we are. <laughs> and it's time for the feature segment. And for that, we have our uh, regular contributor, Joey Reynolds, the sci-fi radio guy, formerly uh, used to do American Who. He was so kind enough to share with us a interview. Um, earlier, we mentioned that Survival is coming out on um, on DVD, and that was the last of the stories of the original run of Doctor Who, which starred um, Sylvester McCoy with Sophie Aldred. And um, in this, this is an interview with Sophie Aldred that was recorded back in 1993, which she speaks of that story and how Doctor Who had came to an unexpected conclusion. Uh, this was recorded um, right before uh, the Doctor Who Sea Cruise. If you remember, that's um, Dan Harris's cruise. We had him, we had an interview with him in an earlier podcast. Pod- Yes, podcast. <laughs> anyway, this was um, recorded at Dan Harris's house with Sophie Aldred the, um, the night before Nicola Bryant, John Nathan Turner, and Gary Downey um, boarded the cruise, and it was recorded on cassette. So uh, um, please forgive any um, cassette noises or uh, you may hear in it. And so here it is. Let's talk about the day after production. Um, what happened? Uh, what happened after you found out that you weren't going to get a steady job anymore, at least from Doctor Who? Well, I was actually very fortunate because I was actually doing other things as well as Doctor Who. I did a, a children's program called Corners, and so I was actually doing that at the time when I heard that we weren't doing any more Doctor Who. And um, although I was, I was really disappointed and upset um, because I just think it's a great program and I think we could have got a lot, a lot more out of it. And I, I also um, just regretted not having known that it was going to be the last story that we do. It would have been nice to kind of bring it to some kind of climax. As it is, we kind of petered out, and uh, I, I think that was a shame. Growing up, I think you and Nicola were probably the first two companions, in, in, in that sense, to, to more or less watch the show. And, and enjoy it as a child. Did you ever think for one moment when you became an actress that you would end up being, you know, being inside the box, hiding from monsters and and any, anything else that was like fun work? No, never. I mean, it was it was uh, like a dream come true. It was amazing to be suddenly landed in this wonderful role that I'd watched as a child, um, and then to have the opportunities that I've had since then to come to America and do conventions and the whole... I mean, it's not just an acting job, you know, it's as I thought it might be when I first started. It's got a whole life of its own. So, I mean, with the conventions, the, um, the things, the, the comics, the, the, the fanzines, the interviews, the, the cult following and everything like that. I mean, I just had no idea. It was incredible. 
Tell me about conventions. You've been to American ones, you've been to ones in the UK. What would you say would be the most memorable ones, the most memorable moments out of, out of the ones? Because fans can, can tend to think you're really ace, you know, and, and others think of you just selfie, just plain old actress, you know. Yeah. And what, what, what comes to mind, you know? I think uh, doing panels with Sylvester. Um, you know, we, we love working together and, and it's really good fun doing stuff with him. Um, also, let's see, the cabarets that people do, I love watching what people come up with. I mean, it's so great to be able to watch Fraser Hines, John Pertwee, all those professional, talented actors and actresses um, doing something different, you know, singing a song or doing a poem or something like that. And, and that, that's very memorable for me. You mentioned Sylvester. Obviously, he's very unpredictable. What was he like on the set? Did he, did he more or less tend to tend to like break everybody up to a point where they had to like like ended about five hours later than scheduled? Or we managed to keep him under control most of the time. I mean, and and he realised there was always this problem with time. You know, we never had enough time to do anything. But on the whole, I mean, I mean, it was just so, so good working with Sylvester because although he did go off schedule. He was always very responsible about it as well. It wasn't like he was just going off the wall. There was always a reason. I mean, he'd suddenly realised that something wasn't going to work and that it was serious and we had to actually sit down and work out how we could do it and it would work. Um, or he'd have some zany idea at the last minute and either the director would say, no, shut up and we'll get on with it, or, or he'd say, yes, that's brilliant. You know, Chemistry in acting, especially between a duo uh, and playing the part for so long, is, is very, very hard to, to piece together because uh, both actors have to really, you know, like each other, you know, off camera or off stage. They, they tend to sort of click. When did you first notice that you and Sylvester were going to click? That's a good question. I can't really remember. I think it was quite early on in rehearsals for Dragonfire. I mean, uh, we found out that we shared a sort of similar background of kind of alternative artsy theatre stuff and uh, the sort of same kind of thinking and politics and stuff. And uh, and also he says that I was the only person who ever laughed at his jokes. So <laughs> so that, that was when it first started really. When the series comes back, and I say when because I'm an optimist, when the series comes back and when the BBC realizes the mistakes that they've made and when they realize they've, they've, they've exhausted all the stories and, and, and they can't make any more money than they can in about like, you know, five seconds of tiny dollars stirring about, would you jump at the chance again? Yeah, I would. I'd, I'd love to do, not, not for a whole season probably, but just to do one or two stories, just to kind of round it off for me, to, to complete the character, to, I mean, she'd probably be a bit more grown up now or something, you know, because I do feel like it's incomplete. And, um, and yeah, I'd, I'd love to have the chance to do it again because we had such good fun. It was great. In, in terms of character, seeing that some people are kind of like protective of their own character, especially when other people start writing about it and they're not a part of it, mm -hmm. as in the new adventures. Um, are you pleased in the way the character base has evolved? Well, I have to say that I haven't read the new adventures, and from what I've been told, it just worries me slightly that Ace is becoming this kind of warmongering, you know, kind of quite 
um, violent and aggressive and with all this sort of weaponry and things like that, so I've been told. Um, and I don't really want to see Ace in that way. I, I, I think it's dangerous to set up a role model, especially the number of children in, in Britain who, who watch the programme and then read the books now. To then suddenly take Ace down that road is like a bit worrying, I think. So um, I'd like to see her have become more of a pacifist like the Doctor is. Um, but then again, I mean, who am I to say? I, I'm, I'm probably being hypocritical. I should read the books. <laughs> um, you did the what the fans are now calling the halftime show of the Super Bowl. <laughs> and what was it like being there, kind of like old home week, being with everybody else that you've seen on TV and probably not had a chance to meet? And, and at the same time, I know you did in EastEnders. It hasn't been shown here in America yet, but we'll see it soon. And um, but being back there on the set, you know, with the cast and being with all with everybody else, what was what was it like? Oh, it was fantastic. I mean, such a good atmosphere all the time. The good thing about Doctor Who is that the the not only the cast always got on very well together, but the crew as well. So um, everyone would be talking to each other and supporting each other, and um, the, right from the lighting and lighting cameramen down makeup, costume, you know, everybody really uh, held together very well and uh, and all helped each other out. It was a lovely sort of, it was a family atmosphere really. Um, do you feel that there was some sort of disappointment after the control? Yes, I do. I mean, even amongst the technical people as well from their point of view because, for example, in the visual effects at the BBC, they don't really have much to get their teeth into anymore. They they have Red Dwarf, of course, mm -hmm. um, but that only takes up a certain small amount of the year. Doctor Who was six months of their output, and um, and good as well for them. Very creative because they were constantly having to come up with new ideas and things like that. So so they felt it very badly, and I know the uh, makeup and costume people have as well, and it's just cut from their schedule. So that's hard. Tell me about your relationship with John, uh, professionally of course. Um, uh, of course there's always been jokes as far back as Janet Fielding, you know, calling him God. Um, and, and going all the way down. Um, has, um, has, has your working relationship with John improved you more as an actress, considering that he's got his own brand, his own quality, his own way of doing things that are different from everybody else? Yeah. Um... He's been great for me because I mean he's he had such faith in me to to cast me in the first place because I didn't have a screen test or or anything. I mean I I literally went to see him and then uh, well I went to see Chris Clough who's directing Dragonfire and then I went back to see John and uh, and he cast me from that without giving me a screen test or you know and so I really admire him for the courage of his convictions you know. He, I think he works on instinct quite a lot, and I think he, he just felt that that uh, I'd be the kind of person who would be good in that role, and then that Ace would be a good companion for Sylvester's Doctor. Um, and uh, it's funny because as we got to know each other more, you say a working relationship, but it's it's really you grow into friendship very quickly. And uh, I mean, John lives quite near me in London, he, but he lives in Brighton as well, he has a house in, in London very near me, 
and uh, we do tend to keep in touch and to to uh, see each other. And then the wonderful thing, of course, is is coming to conventions and keeping in touch with people um, through that. So yes, I mean, I I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for John. You know, I owe him an awful lot. Let's say you won the lottery tomorrow. Um, in terms of in terms of continuing your craft, what would Sophie Alford be doing if she had her con- control of her destiny and acting for the next ten years? It's funny you should say that because I was just thinking, gosh, I wonder if if I had unlimited money, would I still be an actress? I was literally thinking about that yesterday. I was over four. Um, yeah, I would definitely continue acting. Um, it's something that's just sort of in the blood, you know. Um, what I what my goal at the moment is is to be in a a drama series on TV, um, and I'm looking to do that by this summer. I want to really kind of cotton, you know, get down to it and, and do that. Um, I'd love to do I'd love to do sort of you know nice merchant ivory film or uh, all the sort of roles that Helena Bonham Carter does, things like that. Um, and then again, I'm having a wonderful time doing theatre. I mean, I've just finished doing this West End musical. Um, I would like to carry on doing some theatre. So that's my next plan, to, to do a bit more theatre, maybe some more serious roles if I can get one, and then to uh, to move into drama. <laughs> I haven't done theatre in quite a long time, but I know it's like the ability for, for one to actually just take what's come to an end. Mm-hmm. And just hope and pray to God that something yeah. big that's never going to have to or everyone. That's right, yeah. Sylvester said it best. I think it was an interview mm-hmm. that he did alone. And I can't remember where it was, but he compared you as being in the same level of attractiveness with Ingrid Bergman. Yeah. <laughs> and um, how do you, in terms of the way acting is recalled, in terms of the way that most uh, most people are kind of like, uh, might get tough going with their, you know, they look great because Tom Cruise is doing very well in the box office and, and most people claiming him, you know, that, that, that he got the lead role in an interview with a vampire because of his looks. Nah, he's a very good actor. Um, do, do you think that possibly a phone? But do you think and feel that, that more or less it's just what you do? I think it's a lot to do with uh, what you look like as well, yeah, sure, because, I mean, I look, I look younger than I am, and that's an advantage for people who are casting, because because I'm more experienced than, say, if they're casting some, a 25-year-old, then I'm more experienced than a real 25-year-old, and that, that's an advantage to them. Um, and on the other hand, it can be a disadvantage, because um, people sort of uh, say, well, like you say about Tom Cruise, you know, oh, he only got where he is, because... Which is really unfair because I mean he's, for example, he's a very good actor. Um, I think I think a lot of it is to do with well, hard work. Um, I mean, I, I people say, oh, aren't you lucky to have got to, to do what you're doing? And they don't know my you know years doing theatre out the back of a van around schools and you know um, doing singing and working men's clubs and you know and and it is very hard work, you don't just walk straight into it. And I feel the people who do walk straight into it are sometimes not the people who stay around. And they're sort of like quickly there and then we forget about them. Um, you know, the people who stay around, I think, are the people who've slowly been there around all the time, you know. Um, but yes, I mean, it's, it's got to be 
especially television nowadays, and especially, um, I suppose it, yeah, I mean, I couldn't play, uh, I couldn't play a lot of roles because I don't look old enough yet, you know. Um, just as somebody older might say, oh, I can't play her parts because, you know, I look too old. So there's advantages in everything. We want to thank um, Jerry Reynolds for that, of course, Sophie Aldred and Dan Harris for making that interview possible. Once again, it was recorded in December 1993 and some insight into the history of Doctor Who there. Mm. Definitely. So thank you very much, Joey, for that uh, rather interesting interview with Sophie. Uh, nicely ties in, again, as we said, with uh, survival. So I thought you guys would like to hear that. But, uh, of course, if anybody else has any interviews uh, that they would like to send in on us or suggestions or ideas or whatever, you know the way to do it. Feedback at podshock.net. Uh, we'd love to get your submissions and hear from you. So, yeah, cheers. And speaking of feedback, we're going to get to your feedback right after this. Hi, Ken Lewis and Jamie. Russell, your other Canadian correspondent here at the VWIN Hoobash. Uh, Hoobash, what am I saying? Here in Toronto. I thought I would come down here to a segment for my show, but also give you guys a little insight on this Doctor Who gathering. So, uh, what I'm going to do is give you uh, a couple of clips you can play and get an opinion of um, Doctor Who of a uh, more Canadian plant on today's show. So, hope you enjoy that, and I'll uh, hopefully talk to three of you very soon. Okay, we're here now with Heather Murray, who's a member of Twin and has this Who Bash. What got you into Doctor Who? I started watching Doctor Who when I was about probably five or six during the John Pertwee era, because I have older brothers and they watch Doctor Who, and when you're little, you do whatever your brothers do. But I very quickly got hooked. Um, I like the the way that the stories all change, but that the same the basis stays the same. But it covers a lot of different ground, it covers a lot of different issues, can cover a lot of different points of view. He's not always right. I like that. I like that he's not always right. I like that he's not always the sweet, nice, grandfatherly type. I like that it changes. I like that the characters have changed a lot. It's just, I like the variety of it. What have you thought of, of, of the new revival, uh, the last two series? I've been very happy. Very happy with it. It has had a tendency to be a little bit up and down, but to be honest, so was the old show. Um, I like that they've been using Rose as like the everyman kind of point of view. I like that a lot because it helps bring people into it. You don't have to know all the backstory. So I know people who are watching it now who never watched the old show before. Okay. Now, now it's fine. They're also gearing more to female fans as common. Especially with Rose, and and not to spoil anything for people watching on the CBC, how Series 2 ended, very female-friendly, obviously. Yes, well, that's true. And the easy answer is to say, well, the Doctor's cuter now. That's the very easy answer. Um, I think that the stories are just more, um, how can you say this? Um, the more accessible now. I think the more accessible, like with the older shows, I found that you had to know more about the series to be able to watch them. With the newer series, you don't have to know a lot. 
um, you go in and it's right there. And I find that the stories are more more human. You know, you find it's more female orientated. But it, it because I found that they were definitely going to certain moments in both series, especially in the industry too, where they really went for that female audience. They did scenes in there, you know it, it was it was for them. I don't know that they were going for a more female view. Um, to be honest, the most female view thing that I saw was the whole fact that they were allowing him to have a relationship that could have been a romantic relationship. Yeah. And if you had gone, if they had done that in the old show, I would have revolted over it. To be honest, when the when the when the uh, TV movie was on, much as I love Paul McGann, and to be honest, he is my favorite doctor. When they had the moment where he kissed Grace, I was really pissed off about it. I thought it was just wrong. I thought it was terrible because that's not what he's about, you know. But they have written him in the newer series. They seem to have written him with a little more of a depth to him and more open to new things happening to him that haven't happened to him before. And I think that that has made him more open to a female audience. You think that's made him more accessible and, and maybe it's helped the success of the show? I think it's possible, yeah. Because it's, as, in my point of view, the old, the old shows were very much a very singular kind of, you had to be this certain kind of person to watch it. This is a lot more open to many different kinds of people watching it. My father even watches it now, and he never watched it when I was little. But well, not to have too much way to the people who maybe are just watching CBC series, it's a pretty well publicized fact that Billy has left the show and there's a new companion for series three. We won't say how, y'all watch it. But now, a lot of people are saying, okay, new companion, forget the love interest, let's get off that track. What do you feel... How do you feel the new companion should be with with, with the David Tennant come series three? How do I feel they should be like? Yeah. Uh, how how you think they should concentrate less on the love interest thing and just more go old school with the companion relationship? I don't think I would have a problem if they went towards the love interest thing, but I'm kind of hoping that if they do that, they wait for a while. Don't just jump into something like that because a relationship has to be built up there. Me personally, I think that I would prefer it to stay just I'm traveling with you and we're really good friends and that. If they have to throw love interest in, then fine, but please don't do it right away. Please wait for a while. Now, a lot of people say, if you want to get into Doctor Who, where would you start for stories long? That's always a popular question. If there's a story you want people to say to jump into, like maybe old school, what would be a good one you would say? Yeah. Oh, that's a very good question. Um, I would say a Tom Baker era show for sure, because he, I think of all the doctors that have been, he was the most accessible of the older ones. Most people love him the most. Um, I don't know, maybe um, Pyramids of Mars? Pyramids of Mars or the Challenge of Wang Chiang, maybe? Because they, they tend to be fan favorites, and they don't actually require a lot of knowledge of the previous episodes, previous incarnations, in order to get the feel for the show. Now, how long have you been a member of uh, Gwen for? I've been a member of Gwen since 1987 or 88. Yeah, so that's quite a while. <laughs> And is, is, you find it's, it's nice to be around people who have the same interests, same hobbies? It is. It is. Um, it's not the only thing we ever talk about. We don't just sit there and talk about it for like four hours in a row. But it is nice to know that, like, for example, if I go to work and I'm talking to them, oh, did you see Doctor Who? And they go, what are you talking about? I don't know. 
You guys, I can say, did you see Doctor Who? And they say, yeah, I thought, what did you think of this? And then you can, you know, it's it's an interesting extra side kind of social aspect that I wouldn't necessarily have with it. Are there any other science fiction shows that, that, that you find comparable these days? Shows that I'm watching right yeah. now? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm liking Heroes, even though it's a little up and down. Um... Sci-fi shows that are on right now, there's yeah. not a whole lot of them that are on right now that I'm enjoying. If you consider lots of sci-fi shows, okay. it's kind of weird and creepy and there's awful, bizarre kind of shit going on, so, excuse me. <laughs> but I, I like the shows that have a lot more convolutions to them, a lot more going on. Like uh, Life on Mars, which is playing on Showcase right now. That show, I wouldn't consider it a sci-fi show, but it's weird. There's some weird stuff going on, and I like the the complications in that respect. Thanks a lot, Heather, for taking the time out of this, your day here to talk to me about this. You're quite welcome. Have a good night. And we're back with Doctor Who Pachak. And our favorite section of the show. Well, one of our favorite. All our sections are favorite. <laughs> So, why well, discriminate? So, one of our favorite uh, popular segments is when we get to hear from you, and that's called feedback. I guess we'll, um, we'll head off the, the feedback section with some audio feedback, and this is um, Philip, I believe, and he had some comments about the Christmas special, The Runaway Bride. So, um, this is um, his thoughts. Ken, James, and Lewis. This is Philip Cerna in um, the Midwest, in the Chicago area, and I was calling for some listen feedback on The Runaway Bride. Um, I agree with a lot of the comments that you guys made in the podcast where you reviewed it. Uh, just another comment of the fact that the Rachnos being wiped out by the Time Lords is um, almost a direct reference back to the Time Lords and their bow ships going out to wipe out the great vampires, as established in um, the... The Tom Baker episode, Fate of Decay, um, and, and I agree that there's a lot of issues to be had with it, and I think it's a little bit more fragmented, and the plotting isn't as strong as um, The Christmas Invasion, but I thought I would just add that in there, um, the mix, and of course, it's the very first instance in the entire new series of Doctor Who um, that the Doctor or anyone else um, mentions the name Gallifrey in the show, so that's actually a nice high point, although it is kind of a rehashing of the great vampire um, story arc in the Time Lords um, from the original series. So thank you very much, and uh, good luck with the podcast, guys. It's great. Take care. Bye-bye. Well, thank you so much. Um, you know, we did get some, we actually had several feedback, um, both on our website and otherwise, and email uh commenting that we, and when we reviewed The Runaway Bride, we didn't make a mention about, um, you know, the Gallifrey name being mentioned. Um, if you go back to that podcast, we actually closed the show with a clip for, of that. And um, it is, um, it's good to finally hear the name Gallifrey actually being spoken in, in, the, in the series once again, since we haven't heard it since um, in over 10 years. It was the Paul McGann uh, video movie was the last time we heard the name Gallifrey in a televised Doctor Who story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so an interesting point. Cheers, mate, for the feedback. Uh, Shall we move on to some emails? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so we've got one here from a gentleman named Eric, and he says, Hello, Lewis, Ken, and James, and everyone else at the embassy. 
I actually started watching Doctor Who during the, the last season on the Sci-Fi Channel, right around the episode Girl in the Fireplace. It was weird because my friends were all into Doctor Who, but I never paid any attention to it at all. But I watched that episode, and the following week was the beginning of the Cyberman story. Well, that hooked me. I had vaguely remembered seeing something about Doctor Who on public television when I was younger, but it always looked really cheesy to me, and I never really got into it. All that has totally changed. I watched the rest of Season 2 on Sci-Fi, bought the Season 1 DVD, and watched it straight through over a weekend. Read all the classic series synopses from the BBC website, watched the Christmas Invasion during the Christmas Day Marathon on Sci-Fi, downloaded the three episodes I missed from a torrent, then downloaded all of the Torchwood and programmed my DVR to get all the old Tom Baker episodes from Maryland Public Television and bought my friends who were into Doctor Who DVDs of Genesis Daleks and Revelation of the Daleks. Whew! Let me tell you, I am loving every minute of this. It also appears fortuitous that I started watching the Tom Baker episodes on MPT. Since I started recording them, I've seen The Deadly Assassin, The Face of Evil, Talons of Wing Chiang, and their just broadcast horror of Fang Rock last night. I started looking for uh, Doctor Who podcasts a few weeks ago and ran into yours. Thank you so much for doing this. I love hearing all of these conversations about the show and hearing the classic interviews with people who I haven't even seen perform yet. You all do such a wonderful job. And that's from Eric, who is uh, a librarian in Washington, D.C. So cheers for that, man. It yeah. sounds like you're getting through a load of Doctor Who <laughs> in a very a relatively short period of time. So, uh, yeah, it's a lot of catching up to do, I agree. But, uh, whoa, you're doing it at a very fast pace, mate. Uh, I don't want you to have a seizure or anything. <laughs> it's craziness. But, um, yeah, cheers for that, man. Yeah. He actually sent in a, a, a later email the, just the other day, the same chap. Mm-hmm. And uh, he says, uh, again, hello, Lewis, hello, Lewis, Ken and James. This is Eric, now Fritter, on the forum. I've yet to post anything, but I'll be there soon enough. I just wanted to send you the following comments regarding the Season 2 DVD set and some speculation regarding Season 3 in light of what happened in Season 1 of Torchwood. Hmm, interesting. Okay, so the packaging and the product. He says, one of the things that they've done with this packaging is they've kept the same clear sleeve that fits over the entire box, but they've changed the front cover of the box to be a 3D moving TARDIS and time tunnel. While pretty, I've nearly accidentally ripped it off every time I try to put the clear plastic sleeve back on the box set. One thing I really like about the box set, though, is the DVDs themselves have an image of one of the characters you'll see on that disc story. Sycorax, K9, Ood, etc. It just looks really cool. I'll agree, it does look very cool. That's one of the things that struck me when I got uh, my DVDs for Christmas. So he goes on to talk about the deleted scenes. One of the things that watching the DVDs really drove home is how much the sci-fi channel chops Doctor Who to fit the amount of commercials we have in America. Yeah, that's definitely something that we have mentioned here on the show many, many times. Uh, There were so many scenes in every single episode that you just never see, and lines that are really important that they just left out. Again, we've talked about this so many times before, and bad sci-fi channel, bad. Yes. Like, I had no idea that the crew working on the Impossible Planet were actually employees of Torchwood. That line was just cut out. 
there were even character deaths that were cut that I didn't even realise. And that whole scene with the music, the lion sleeps tonight in the rise of the Cybermen was just gone. All of that was supremely annoying. He then goes on to talk about echoes. There were a lot of visual and thematic echoes in season two. Mickey, K-9, Rose, Terrier, in school union, Mickey comes home to the realisation that he's the tin dog of the group. In Rise of the Cybermen, Rise finds out that, it, that she, in, a, in a parallel Earth, she's an actual dog. And she, he goes on to reference several uh, different, uh, uh, basically, mirrors to uh, season one and season two, which I'm sure uh, we're all familiar with. But now we get on to the real interesting bit of the email, where he goes on to talk about uh, the Torchwood crossovers and possible speculation. He says, if you've watched Doctor Who, uh, Torchwood, you know that Captain Jack has a hand in, in the Doctor of, in the jar that was severed by a Sycorax in the Christmas invasion. Also, if you watch season two of Doctor Who, then you know that the beast in the Satan pit called itself a Badden. Ah, I didn't realise that. This was the name that Billis Manger in Torchwood called the beast that rose from the rift in Cardiff. Uh Put aside any question about how the beast got from the Satan pit and back to Earth, possibly via Torchwood, and survivors the impossible planet. After Captain Jack revives at the end of the last episode, Torchwood, you see him looking at the hand of the Doctor, and it's glowing in that time vortexy way. You hear the time grinding and Captain Jack disappears, presumably to go back to the Doctor. Well, as you said back in one of those podcasts, 40-something, the BBC announced that John Barrowman, who plays Captain Jack, will be coming back for the finale of Season 3. This makes me wonder, since the hand was glowing, does that mean that the Doctor will be regenerating again at the end of Season 3? What do you guys think about that? Thanks for the te- fantastic podcast. I'm enjoying every minute of going through the archives. Wishing you the best, Eric. Again, the librarian in DC. So uh, there we are. Um, I don't know. We kind of speculated about this the other week because we were talking about how there were rumours that David Tennant was leaving um, and moving on to different things, and how he's reaffirmed his commitment into series three. Personally, um, I mean, I don't know how much truth there is to any of this because I seem to remember Billy Piper was rumoured to be leaving and then said, oh, no, I'm not, and then did. So um, I, yeah. I don't know. It's a possibility it would explain it. Or they'll come, who knows, they might come up with some other explanation. Maybe it's just the proximity of the Doctor to the handmaid. Yeah, that's how, or... that, that's how I took it to be when I, when I watched it was just that, you know the 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 you heard the TARDIS you know and it, maybe it was just the proximity that you know it acted as a beacon perhaps. Mm. It's, a, it's very well uh, put together though in in his uh, you know in his 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 guess as to what may be happening in season three though it's uh, interesting. I'm starting to, my mind is racing after a while. I was listening to that and I still yeah. haven't seen the finale. So but um, but it's all good. Okay, man. Sorry, I didn't no, want to no, spoil no. it for it's, you. It's cool with me. Don't worry about it. I'm not a Torchwood <laughs> at all. <laughs> yeah, well, we're not a Torchwood podcast, really. But the, I think that's been the most interesting thing for us, really, is that that has t- a tie-in clearly to Doctor Who, and that's why we're interested. 
chap called Taylor Nelson with a nice short email. He says, hi guys, finally decided to take the time to shoot off an email and I'm not sure where this idea would fit in, but I've been re-watching most of season two on the Sci-Fi channel and I've noticed something in the show's music that I really hope they take out of season three. That alarm bell always gets worked into those crescendo moments. Mm. Yeah. It just stands out so strongly against the music, and it's used so often that it's become more of an annoyance than anything else. Please, Beeb, ditch the bell in the new season, Taylor. Um, I, I haven't noticed this. What, what does he, this guy mean? Sean yeah, Huckster I, I, once brought it to our attention, too. The, the, I took it to being that, that alarm, you know, in that first episode, Rose with the alarm clock. and um, But then I think Sean had mentioned it was a school bell as well, and I, I'm not sure it's... There, there is. I do. I do hear that like echoing in my head sometimes. That 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 alarm sound. Oh. I, I believe what? it was in the long game as well. And um, I, there's probably. A, it's, I'm sure someone has maybe a list of episodes that it appears in. Oh. Ken, you were about had... to say something. No, I was curious as to what he was referring to as well. Oh. I'm not I'm trying to think about the the alarm sound. I'm... Maybe the alarm bell is these past two seasons, Bad Wolf, Stroke, Garlic, <laughs> Stroke, Cyberman, Revelation type thing. I don't mm. know. Mm. And then... Um, Maybe it's connected. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, who knows? It's I, th- I think it's probably just in their li- sound library and they keep on um, using it and it's just one that's uh, very identifiable. Mm. Okay. Well, thank you for that, Taylor. Good to know. Uh, I don't even think I said thanks to Eric for his cool emails. Yeah, yeah thanks, thank you, guys. Eric. Yeah. Of course, we appreciate all feedback. So, moving on, let's just get to one of the last emails, which is in reference to Podshock number 62. Mm. We actually had a few emails about this. And, he said, and this guy called uh, Chris says, Guys... In your latest episode of Podshock, a listener wanted to know how to add an old episode to his iTunes podcast library. The only way I found to do this is to get re-add selected tracks as podcast script from Doug's Apple Scripts for iTunes website. Excuse me, you can go to dougscripts.com forward slash iTunes forward slash scripts forward slash searchthescripts.php. The only problem with this is it won't add the episode to his current Doctor Who Podshock library. It will ask him to create a new name for the subcategory and add it to that library. It will be added to the podcast library under that new subcategory and treated as a podcast. He also will have to have the episode somewhere in his music library. This solution will only work on a Mac. Hope this helps Chris. And then just briefly, uh, another chap commented... On this yeah, Mike from Australia says, Hi there, you probably have answered this already, but here's my fix for the, the podcast that will not download. One, delete the episode from the RSS feed in iTunes. Two, click unsubscribe. Three, click subscribe. Check for new podcasts. This normally resolves an issue when the podcast does not download correctly, but iTunes seems to think it has downloaded. I guess it's some kind of indexing issue in the iTunes XLM database. Awesome show, one of my two favourite Who feeds, Doctor Who fans since 1976, Mike TC from Melbourne in Australia. Cheers, guys. That's yeah. great to know. Uh, we appreciate it. If anybody has any technical issues, it's great that uh, the other listeners can address them because, obviously, as we produce the show, 
we don't obviously see the size of things sometimes. So, and this cheers, guys. proves that once again, the whole Doctor Who community is a community, and um, you know, and we really do appreciate when other listeners help other listeners out, and um, you know, and and those that may be experiencing similar issues that may not have taken the time to send us feedback on it now have an answer as well. That's what it's all about. But uh, I guess that kind of wraps up the show, a mammoth piece uh, this week. But um, don't Nothing forget... like keeping them short, boys. Nothing like keeping <laughs> absolutely, them short. Absolutely. We're giving them the, uh, I would say customers, but they're not customers because they're not paying for anything. But the, the, the fans out there, the, the listeners of the show, we're giving them exactly what they want. So, And um, just a, a quick little, speaking of technical issues that I just realized during feedback, and when I go back and re-listen to the show in, in post-production, I'll know for sure whether or not this was the case, but in in, I, in a feedback section, I realized I had my mic on the wrong setting, so if my sound is crappy, I do apologize. I am not amused. But just as a last point, I just want to say a reminder, don't forget to send in your costume... Uh, costume? What am I on about? Contest stroke exhibition entries type things to our promo competition. Uh, yeah, create a mashup under one minute, have everything in there that we need for a promo. Don't forget you can win an iPod. And uh, yeah, deadline of Podshock 70. So I guess that's everything for this week of Podshock. So... Uh, yeah. See you next time, Cheers. and have a good one. Thanks for listening. Take it easy. Take care. Listening to Doctor Who Podshock by the fan-run Gallifreyanembassy.org and presented by Outpost Gallifrey. Doctor Who is owned and trademarked by the BBC. Doctor Who Podshock is not affiliated with the BBC in any way. Come back next week for another exciting and informative episode of Doctor Who Podshock. You can email us at feedback at podshock.net. Yep, you have got to try Bubble Shock. It's simply delicious. Mm, drink, drink it. it.